Welcome to Shabbat Replay, your dose of Mishkan services throughout the week. February 11th was our first Friday night Shabbat in person after the case surge here in Chicago, as well as our first time back at our beloved Second Unitarian venue. Rabbi Stephen delivered a sermon about Whoopi Goldberg's controversial statements about the Holocaust, subsequent apology, and backlash. While racism has evolved greatly over the last centuries, our commitment to teshuva and solidarity with the oppressed remain rooted in an ancient tradition. It's actually really, it's really nice being in the space. It makes me feel like, it's kind of like, like old Mishkan in some ways, you know? Like, back in the day. What is time? What is time? <laughs> so glad to be with you on this, you know, Monday the, I don't know, 111th teenth of March. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of calendars. So every now and then, speaking of calendars, actually, the Hebrew calendar and the secular calendar line up. And so two Mondays ago, we marked the beginning of the month of Adar and the first of February on the same day. And I thought, how amazing was it that this month in the Jewish tradition that is about boundless joy would overlap with a month that we celebrate the resilience and creativity of black folks. And I was really looking forward to giving a drosh tonight that wove these two together. And then one Monday ago, Whoopi Goldberg got on The View. I'm going there. (laughs) (laughs) To say that the Holocaust was not about race, but man's inhumanity to man. And the Jewish community groaned, went up in arms, and pundits left and right weighed in, and over the past week, we have waded through complicated and painful conversations about Jewishness, about race, and about the wounds of history. And so I want to talk about these things tonight because it's important to talk about these kinds of things, and also because I actually do believe that in the end, this conversation will lead us back to the lessons of these overlapping months of Adar and February, Black History Month. What I'm about to say might sound a little controversial, so I want you to just bear with me for a moment here. Whoopi Goldberg, in her statement, was not entirely wrong. She was not entirely wrong because Goldberg was, in part, quoting the words of Primo Levi, who, when writing about his time as a prisoner in Auschwitz, stated that he was constantly, quote, constantly amazed by man's inhumanity to man. Exactly verbatim what Whoopi Goldberg said. She was not entirely wrong because her comments reflected the worrying and very real decline of Holocaust education among younger generations. One in four American adults under the age of 39 believe that the historic fact of six million dead is either a myth or an exaggeration. And she was not entirely wrong because Goldberg was speaking about the idea of race as it has appeared in the story of this country where the distinctions between European immigrants, including Ashkenazi Jews, that seem so significant on the other side of the Atlantic have largely disappeared on these shores. And this monolith of whiteness is held in contradistinction to those who are black or brown. 
It was through this same lens that Goldberg defended her remarks, explaining on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert that the Nazis were white people, and most of the people they were attacking were also white people. And from the vantage point of how we conceive race in America today, this is true. This is race as it has been historically defined. The idea that human beings can be divided into discrete categories based on observable biological traits, and that those categories in turn determine our character and our ability. But this definition is also its problem for who falls in what category changes and shifts depending on how we define those traits and who defines those traits is determined by privilege and power, often to justify discriminatory systems that benefit them while marginalizing others. And it is this definition of race that was used to preserve slavery when our country was founded on the idea of equality on the basis that black people, as determined by the observable shade of their skin or the makeup of their ancestry, were biologically predisposed to servitude. And it is also the same definition of race that allowed the Nazis to determine who was and who was not Jewish and to justify our murder. This is why Whoopi Goldberg, while not entirely wrong, was still wrong. The Holocaust was about race, even if it does not fit this definition that we use today in this country, because Nazi policies of discrimination and genocide were predicated on the idea that we, that Jews, were an inferior race whose biological makeup made us unreliable and untrustworthy and whose presence threatened the very fabric of German society. And while that conception does not match well with how we think about Jewishness, and who is white and who is black in the United States, it does share the same origins and the same deadly consequences as slavery and segregation, and therefore should be taken just as seriously. And so social media erupted and news outlets weighed in and everyone from Jonathan Greenblatt, the CEO of the Anti-Defamation League, to Phil Robertson of Duck Dynasty fame, <laughs> offer their opinion on whether Goldberg should resign or resist or just simply ignore the storm around her. And shortly after that, she appeared on The Late Show where he, she doubled down on her statements. And that same evening, she took a step back and she issued an apology. Regardless, ABC decided to temporarily suspend her from The View. Numerous op-eds have been written, ranging from the indignant to the conciliatory. And here I am talking to all of you about it now. And so we find ourselves, whether we are Jewish or black or neither or both, struggling to find a path toward healing when the wounds of the past have been reopened. And everyone seems to be talking past each other. And no one seems to be talking to one another. Having a productive dialogue about the Holocaust is hard. Because the Holocaust is a tragedy that really, it truly evades description. How could we ever find a way to talk about the individual and collective pain that was inflicted on our people and on other communities? And how frightening, as the last survivors pass into memory, that this stain on our history, which only occurred less than a century ago, we have to remember that, is being forgotten 
by younger generations? And how enraging is it that in our miseducation, we may be doomed to repeat the mistakes of the past? And from this broken, this angry, this sad, this frightened place comes this cry for justice that so easily transforms into the call for vengeance. To not only hold people like Whoopi Goldberg accountable for their ignorance, but to punish them for the harm their words have caused, both to ourselves and to the memories of those who are murdered, regardless of whether those words were spoken from miseducation or from malice. Now, some of you may be familiar with a photo called Woman with a Handbag, taken in Vaxio, Sweden in the spring of 1958. If you don't know the name of it, you might know the image as it describes it. In it, a 38-year-old woman, Danuta Danielson, swings her handbag at a marching neo-Nazi. The photo captures the moment right before her bag hits his head. Does this sound familiar to some people? If you don't know this photo, please go look it up, <laughs> either at home or after Shabbat, depending on your practice. <laughs> Now, I don't want to make a false equivalence. Whoopi Goldberg is not in any way a neo-Nazi, and her miseducation does not come from a place of hatred, and her comments certainly do not make her deserving of harm. But both of these moments demonstrate the impulse when we are grappling with our anger and our sadness and our fear to punish and to shame the other. It is one half of the instinct to fight or to flee, and one that is particularly tempting when we finally have the means to fight back. Yet as satisfying as this might feel at the moment, lashing out does not dispel their ignorance, nor does it heal our pain. Instead, shame and the silence that follows refuses the opportunity for change, both for ourselves and for the other person. It traps us in our brokenness, and it preserves them in their ignorance. And the consequences of this response bear so much resemblance to that old canard of race, which we talked about earlier, one that says because of who we are and where we come from, how we act and what we believe cannot be changed. Now, Judaism rejects this model, the idea of teshuva, that repentance and repair are possible is based on the assertion that we find within each person the capacity for growth and for change. And yes, human beings make mistakes. And yes, human beings can sometimes act with incredible inhumanity toward one another, just as Primo Levi observed. Yet we do not believe that these behaviors reflect an inherent defect in our makeup, and we do not believe that they come from some fluke of biology that encodes some people for good and others for evil. Those are the lies of race as defined by racists. Our tradition instead finds inherent in every single person a resilience and a strength and a courage that are best expressed through our ability in a place of brokenness to ask for and to give forgiveness. And through this process that we call teshuva, change for the better. Now, I actually believe that Whoopi Goldberg's initial apology was the perfect example of this kind of exchange. She tweeted, um, I'm sorry for the hurt that I've caused. As Jonathan Greenblatt of the ADL shared, the Holocaust was about the Nazis' systematic annihilation of the Jewish people who they deemed to be an inferior race. I stand corrected. 
I don't think they don't think that it's accidental that Whoopi Goldberg, both black and female, was punished with silence while many people, generally white and male, have said much worse with no consequences. And I am so grateful for those who, despite all of this, despite the silencing of this individual sought dialogue with her, remembering that conversation, not censure, is what helps us find and act upon our ability to grow. Because growth, growth, even in brokenness, is one of the many lessons of this season. Black History Month is as much about reckoning, especially for white folks, with the scars of racism and holding the pain of the past as it is about celebrating the generative and the creative spirit of black people who have found faith even when the world offered them none. Reflecting on the meaning of this month in the midst of trauma caused by police brutality, the writer Brooklyn White shares that it is this faith that has kept us, enabled us to make history and stand tall in it, we have risen from every low, rotted place and thrived because, well, that's what we do. It is what we have always done. We know hell only in passing, not because it is not continuously brought to us, but because we fashion it into sacred, stunning experiences. I actually want to read that last line again because it's so beautiful. We know hell not only in passing, not because it is not continuously brought to us, but because we fashion it into sacred and stunning experiences. To take hell and fashion it into sacred, stunning experiences is a bomb to the feelings that push us towards punishment and shame and leads us instead towards teshuva, toward repair, even in broken places, even when we are feeling broken. It is a black story. It is a Jewish story. The rabbis teach that when Adar comes, this month that we are in now, joy increases as we prepare for the holiday of Purim. And let me tell you, Purim is not a happy story. <laughs> it's really not. While we escape the worst of what was planned for us, the story ends. It ends with us literally fighting for our lives in the streets of Persia and counts for all the people who die in this conflict. Yet even within this turmoil and uncertainty, we are told to create space for generosity and joy, offering gifts to one another, providing for those in need, dressing up and partying all night and celebrating together. In a time that would have us so understandably act out of anger and fear, we remind ourselves instead of our ability to change ourselves, and each other, and the world around us. So this is my blessing for all of us tonight. That when the world feels broken, to remember our resilience and our strength and our courage, and when we feel broken, to remember our capacity for change. And where we encounter ignorance, let us encourage conversation rather than silence. And where we find misunderstanding, let us educate rather than shame. Let's write a new story together, one that believes in the possibility of repair. It is a new story that's also a very, very old story, told by all the generations who came before us, Black and Jewish. You've been listening to Shabbat Replay on Contact High, a podcast from Mishkan, Chicago. If you enjoyed this sermon and want to join us live, Tune into Shabbat services through Facebook most Fridays of the month and through Zoom two Saturday mornings a month. Our schedule of services and programs can be found at mishkanchicago.org events, where there's also a link 
to donate and support our work. And you can visit us on Facebook or Instagram at Mishcon Chicago. As always, we want to hear from you. On behalf of Team Mishcon, thanks for tuning in.